Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. Chen Tao, also known as uh, sometimes the True Way Cult, uh, was formed by a professor who was clearly insane. Uh, he, he believed that the universe was four and a half trillion years old, that our solar system was created by a nuclear war, uh, that each of us have three souls, and that humanity has been rescued on five different occasions uh, by God who has descended down in a flying saucer. Um, the 160-member group cult uh, was disbanded, though, uh, when uh, there was a failed prophecy in 1998 uh, that uh, there was going to be, that God was going to appear. That God was going to appear on a single television channel in North America, whether or not you had cable, uh, 12.01 a.m. on March 31st. So there's this prophecy that God was going to appear on TV, and sure enough, he didn't, and the cult just kind of faded away and fizzled. Um, and obviously, that sounds all very ridiculous. Um, but it forces me to kind of ask the question as Christians, when we truly believe uh, what we believe, when we examine uh, that we believe that God came in flesh, uh, born of a virgin, uh, was crucified, died, and is resurrected and is coming back. Um, if we separate ourselves from it and if we're honest, those are ridiculous claims. How do, how do we know that those are more true than Chen Tao? And I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves sometimes as, as we go through, as we seek to make an impact in the world. And uh, what we have here in Colossians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was once Saul, who was an enemy of, uh, of the faith and who, who didn't believe any of it. In fact, wanted to wipe it out and felt like it was a cancer on, on Judaism uh, and was actively persecuting. But he comes to faith when he encounters the resurrected Jesus. And he goes from being Saul, uh, the persecutor, to being Paul, uh, the champion. And, and how does that happen? How does someone go from being an enemy to an apostle? And, uh, you know, similar perhaps as we think through what would it take for Trudeau to become uh, the prime minister of uh, the conservative party? Like what crazy events would have to take place in his life in order for that to happen? Um, And similarly, this is what happens with the life of Paul. And um, Paul here is going to talk specifically to the Colossians about the importance of Jesus uh, and nail that down. And so... um, what we want to talk about is how do we how do we know this to be true? So uh, we're going to dive in here to the letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter one, uh, starting in verse fifteen. Um, so so Paul is wanting to combat some heresies that are going on in the Colossian church, and so uh, so here we go. Um, he, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Um, some, some scholars believe that this is another hymn, that this has been circulating around in the church for a while, a Christ hymn, that it's almost like this liturgy that's shared within churches. And so Paul is, is using this to talk about Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, meaning the God who takes on flesh. The firstborn of all creation is about a place of honor, that, that, that the firstborn has this place of honor, ruler, firstborn, the ruler of all, um, above all. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him uh, and for him. So Jesus as well is the creator, like we saw in John chapter 1, that Jesus created all things, including the angelic beings, which is something the Colossians are struggling with. But Jesus is preeminent above all, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also the sustainer. He's at work in history, even if we don't understand it. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. Again, here we have this idea that Jesus, um, Jesus is the head of the church, uh, firstborn of the dead, meaning the resurrection is the inauguration of this new uh, phase in, in creation history where there is a coming resurrection and Jesus is the first uh, into it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. We have Jesus who's also the reconciler, who who reconciles all things together. He is both creator of the world and also the, the one who restores things too. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's two parallel columns here in in this particular uh, section of Scripture where uh, Jesus is preeminent in creation. Jesus is also preeminent in redemption. Uh, and, and, and really, it's, it's this Christ hymn that, that proclaims the divinity of Jesus, the sovereignty of Jesus, that Jesus is the creator, Jesus is the sustainer, Jesus is the redeemer, that it's all about Jesus. And so how do we know? How can we have assurance that, that these things about Jesus that Paul is proclaiming are true? And we come into the realm of apologetics. Um, which I find really fascinating. So we're going to do something a little bit different here this morning, but um, is there reason behind what we believe or do we have to unplug our brains to simply believe blindly that Jesus is all of these things, including the firstborn of the resurrection, Um, not just a a good teacher or a spiritual guru? Um, And so how can we know? The first thing that's important in in this conversation is acknowledging that Jesus himself said he was God. This was a radical claim that Jesus, in fact, said. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And that's a reference back to the Old Testament where God uh, gives Moses his name. He says, I am that I am. And and, and the Pharisees' response, who are questioning Jesus about this, their response was picking up stones and wanting to murder him for for blaspheming, for, for saying that he was equal with God. They clearly understood what he was saying. John 14, 6, Jesus radically says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that he was the way, that he was God, he was salvation. Uh, the Pharisees again ask him again and again, and at one point in Matthew 26, he says, yes, it's as you say, and then he references Daniel 7, which is this image they were expecting of the Messiah coming riding on the clouds, the Son of Man, and Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, and again, they accuse him of blasphemy and they want to kill him. Uh, in John 10, they say, you, a mere man, claim to be God, so it was clear that Jesus was in fact saying, I am God. This isn't something that was made up in 300 AD under Constantine. This isn't made up in, uh, you know, something that that people put on this historical figure, Jesus, in the Middle Ages. Jesus himself said these things, that he was God. And then he died for that truth. Um, He wasn't killed because he was a spiritual guru. He wasn't killed for saying that we need to love each other. Um, He was killed because he proclaimed that he was the way, that he was the truth, that he was the life, that he was I am, that he was God. No one, and we know that no one dies 
for a lie. And it's, it's again, this piece of evidence, it's not proof, but it's a piece of evidence that forces us to consider the claims of Paul here, that Jesus is preeminent, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is creator, that Jesus is who he said he was. Uh, number two, um, I find it interesting that and, and important that we have eyewitness uh, historical reports from non-Christian historians. So these are people who aren't in the faith, but who are writing about what's going on at the time of Jesus, and they mention Jesus. They mention uh, that Jesus' teachings were highly impactful. They, they, they mention the uh, sort of the stories coming up uh, and swirling about about the miracles of Jesus. And they also talk about people within a generation of Jesus immediately after the resurrection uh, actually worshiping Jesus as resurrected and alive and God. Uh, they weren't always in agreement with those claims, but they were reporting what was going on, that there was the sect uh, of Christ followers who were proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected uh, and, and alive and he was God um, immediately after Jesus' death, which was really important because, again, this wasn't something that was made up and written three, four, five hundred years later. Um, these are reports at the time. In Jesus, we have prophecies that are fulfilled. Over 300 in the Old Testament, over thousands of years, there are all these prophecies about who the Messiah is going to be, and Jesus fulfills them. Uh, again, another piece of evidence for us that forces us to examine Jesus. Prophecies about things that Jesus couldn't control, like where he would be born, uh, what tribe he'd be born into, uh, even all the way into the fact that there would be nails uh, pierced through his hands. Uh, and, and this was written before crucifixion was even invented. And so we have 300 prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. Again, another piece of evidence um, as, as we weigh these claims of Paul, that who Jesus is. Um, we also need to look at the fact that his family worshipped him as divine. What would it take for you to proclaim and worship your brother, your family member, as God? God, well, I mean, if anyone knows you and your, your, your mistakes, your foibles, your sins, it's your family. But yet we see that James and Jude, Jesus' younger brothers, younger half-brothers, really, Joseph was their father, worshipped Jesus as this Jesus illustrated here in Paul. God of the universe, creator, sustainer, redeemer, resurrected. James was pushed off the temple. He was actually killed for his faith in his brother, not only his brothers, but also his mother. His mother Mary worshipped him as God. Uh, and finally here as well, I think it's really important that we see the early church gathered and worshipped within a generation of Jesus' death. And so this wasn't something that myth was able to develop over hundreds of years, that within a generation, within 30 years of Jesus' death, Paul is writing this hymn about Christ, which has already developed and circulated this theology of the divinity of Jesus, meaning almost immediately where there are eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection who are proclaiming these things. There wasn't a mythology that had developed. And this church faced horrendous persecution for this claim um, from Paul himself for a while. Horrendous persecution, but it was based on the historical facts which they observed, which they witnessed. And the church itself was also filled with doubters, people like Thomas, who said, I don't believe it's impossible. I, I can't believe that Jesus is resurrected. I saw him dead on the cross. Jesus shows up and says, put your hands in the holes. And Thomas does, and his response is, my Lord and my God. And so we have this hymn, this deep Christology, the magnitude and the importance and the centrality of Jesus. 
And I think it's important to realize that we don't have to unplug our brains in order to be a Christian. That although it seems crazy, when we stop and we look at the evidence, I think we can run the ramp of reason before we take the leap of faith. Um, It's not proof. I'm not going to find proof, but there are pieces of evidence for me that make my faith make more sense and go, yes, I'm not crazy to believe these things. Um, It's not just pure faith unplugging my brain. And so I I pray that that would be an encouragement for you as we look at the centrality of Jesus, as we we stand in a culture opposed to it, uh, where sometimes reason and rationality want to deny it, that there, there is reason why. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, that you are the firstborn from the dead. Thank you that you are the image of God in flesh to show us, to reveal to us who you are and your love for us. Uh, Thank you for these words of Paul and Paul's testimony of going from opponent to apostle. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith with these little pieces of evidence that you've left for us in history that we can stand firm on the truth that you are who you said you were, the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you want to, if, if this stuff is really appealing to you and you really enjoy this, it's called apologetics. There's lots of books out there. There's lots of different topics to study on this, and it's, uh, it's actually um, uh, really worthwhile. So I encourage you in it. Um, hope you have a great day. Talk again soon.